The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So I got my new Big Ben song now to go with it. It's the song, sound of the bell. I mean, it's really, it fits perfectly. I don't know where I, why I dropped the ball on that one. It's that so one. What's the song? Big the Ben, song. Big Ben, Big Ben, Big Ben. <laughs> you like that? Oh, yeah, baby. What's up? It's Monday. You know it. Week 8 is in the books. Not all the way yet. We got Buccaneers Giants coming up later tonight. We'll hit on that in a second. But it's Chris Sims, Paulie Burmeister, Paulie Burmeister was calling a college game this weekend, and he's been sanctioned away from NBC Sports until he gets a negative COVID-19 test, which he'll have to take tomorrow. So uh, he has to do it from home. That's why we're not together. But good to see you, Paulie. You doing all right, man? Doing well, yes. I, I was close. I was close to being there, and uh, we are certainly playing it safe. And I feel like I'm close again. I mean, you're just right there. You sound all nice and clear. You look good from a distance there. So I also want to say, I, I think you I think you made that Big Ben song a little better this morning on PFT, didn't you? Oh, Did well, you clean that I, up a little I, I bit? I probably gave it a little bit more umph. Okay. That was my yeah. that, that what we just played there. That was my first, you know, first time releasing that to the public, you know. So I gotta work <laughs> on it a little bit more. But it's just too obvious. And Big Ben, Big Ben, <laughs> he's back in the AFC North. Yes, big win for the Steelers yesterday. I know we're going to break that down, and as we always do, we'll hit every game going. Um, and I'm sorry you're not here with me today. You look good. I mean, what kind of sneakers you got on, just so I can like totally peep you out here? It's it, it's those basic white ones that, that got a very nice compliment from you last time. All right, so good, good. I figured it was good luck. Yeah, they're on. Good. So it's not slippers. About full, you know, full pants, got the whole thing. Okay, you just do. like I was actually there. Okay, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know. Maybe if you got home and you're like, all right, take the pants off. Let's Thought do this it. thing in tidy whiteies and then go to football. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. All right, let's go. Where you hey, want to hey, start this thing? I, I want to start this way. Tell me this. Uh, it's been quite a few years since you've played, but when it gets to be November and you get there in your comfortable spot, you're watching games, you see the the wind whipping and the flags blowing and the temperatures are colder. Don't you just feel a little bit more cozy that you don't have to complete a pass on third down and 11 when it's a 30-mile-an-hour wind out there for some quarterback to do that? Well, it, it's certainly not the best throwing condition, but if you're asking me if I'd rather be on a football field in 30-mile-per-hour winds or doing this or in a studio with Florio, I'm sorry. I like all of you guys so much, but I'd rather be on the field throwing in 30-mile-per-hour winds. I'm sorry, yes. You but, could cut a spiral through those and put it on the spot? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think I could, yes, but you're right. I mean, there was a lot of challenging elements yesterday, and there is something to throwing into the wind. I mean, we saw a lot of teams take that run-first approach, but I think the, the quarterbacks you saw who can throw have strong arms and then – can throw tight spirals, 
they can usually cut it through the wind. Like, it was yes. very windy in Green Bay yesterday. Aaron Rodgers had no issue. You know, even in Kansas City, I think they had a little wind issue as well. I mean, Mahomes is not going to have issue. There's just enough power. And then, of course, because he can spin it so hard, it can cut through the wind that way. And uh, before I lost my spleen, I could spin <laughs> it and throw it. I'm not saying like Mahomes or Rodgers, but I could cut it through the wind, okay? All right. Yeah. I trust you. Yeah. I trust you. You're a better man than me wanting to be out there on Sunday at this age in, in your 40s <laughs> thinking you could throw it through all that wind. Let's start with the headline game. And I've been listening to you for the last 24 hours. I know you love the games we were presented yesterday. we got a lot of good stuff to get to. Let's start with the headline, Pittsburgh and Baltimore, with the Steelers finding a way to pull that one out, led by the defense. I, I think uh, Pete has listed here. We want to show a little bit of a full screen here. Lamar Jackson, his two starts against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and neither one good yesterday. Uh, not good at all. Four turnovers, couple of touchdowns, couple of interceptions. A lot of things we want to get to here with our headline deep dive, but what's your first thought when it comes to Lamar Jackson, the Ravens' offense, and how they lost to the Steelers yesterday? Well, the, the Ravens' lo offense lost the game yesterday. That's, that would be my first thought. And, again, they did a lot of good things. There's a lot to be positive about, definitely. I mean, really. I, I, the Ravens controlled the tempo of the game for the most part of the day and really weren't stopped a whole lot on the offensive side of the ball. You know, so, you know, that was Pittsburgh's first real crack at, whoa, Lamar, Baltimore, Ravens offense hitting on all cylinders. I know they got to play them last year in week four, but that was still Baltimore trying to get in their flow of their offense. So, hey. He made some plays, and they, Pittsburgh certainly had to adjust to life and playing this Baltimore Ravens offense. But this was Lamar Jackson's first real test against this front seven, healthy, flying around, Minka Fitzpatrick at safety, all of those issues. And it's one of the few defenses in football, Paulie, that I would say, no, even for a guy like Lamar Jackson, you got to reel it in and be a little bit more careful against this group than other groups. There's just too many big, freakish athletes in the front seven who can make plays, cause disruption, do that. And if you just break it down like this, pick six to start the game. It's cover three. I mean, there's nothing special about it. Spillane does a great job of kind of just reading Lamar Jackson's eyes. Lamar is looking to his left and just flips to the right, Paul, and kind of just throws it blind. Like, look, looking left, flips to the right, just assuming he's going to be open, and Spillane does a good job in jumping it. Then... 7-7, Baltimore's controlling the game. They drive down the field. It's a third or second and nine. Lamar Jackson, they're on the nine-yard line. Nobody's open. He sits in the pocket too long. This is Pittsburgh. This is the Steelers. They're coming. You can't sit there and pat the ball four times and then try to figure out what you're going to do at the last second and try to throw the ball. Bud Dupree, strip sack fumble. So that's, you know, Ravens' fault. Then you talk about the first, the first play of the second half which was basic spider three wide banana to the weak side there, Paul. And explain that one a little bit. So, yeah, this is it's it's a weak side play action pass. He's going to have 42 Ricard in the flat as his fullback. And then he's got his guy, Mark Andrews, running a corner route. Andrews does not get enough depth on his route. And 56 Hightower, who's a rookie for Pittsburgh, number uh, outside linebacker, he is covering the fullback, but because Andrews is not depth or not deep, he can almost cover both of them by himself. And Lamar knows he's supposed to cover the fullback, and he tries to just loft it over his head. 
And, of course, the kid makes the interception, sets up the short field for the Steelers, and kind of jump-started their offense and got them going from that point. But I, don't, I didn't mean to ramble for so long, but to me the big part of the day was the turnovers, definitely. And Lamar Jackson kind of serving the game up a little bit on a silver platter for Pittsburgh to, to take it and take advantage of. Right, yeah. right. And as you can imagine, Chris, a lot of the homies with a lot of questions here via social I uh, want to get to as many of these as we can. Let's start with at not Jay Powell. He asks, did Lamar throw poorly or did it look like the coverage, the coverages were confusing him? No, I, you know, I didn't feel like he threw it poorly. It's you're always going to get confused against Pittsburgh to a degree. Yeah, you are. I mean, they're, they're, they do a lot of exotic, crazy things that, you know, even me who's sitting here studying football my whole life. I sometimes go, I'm not sure what coverage this is or what rules they're doing here. But for the most part of the day, he made a lot of really good intermediate eight and ten yard throws, and then of course when they needed him at, at his best, you know, at the end of the game to make some clutch throws to go down and take a lead when they're down 21-17, he did that too. So I have no problem with the overall physical throwing from Lamar Jackson or anything like that. I think he had control of the ball. It's just hey, the first interception he just didn't see the defender. The second interception, he sees the defender. He throws the semi-appropriate ball, but it's just it, – it's too – the degree of difficulty is too tough. I mean, he really has to get it up and get it down and throw it in the perfect spot. And that, to me, was just a misjudge of the circumstances. Hey, it's the first play of the first half. You're up 17-7. You're dominate, your defense is dominating. Steelers' offense cannot do Jack Diddley shit. And you let yeah. them off the hook and kind of got them going right there. And that, to me, is, you know, the, the big story of the day. And it was, it's amazing, Chris. It's one of those games that you watch, and between what your eyes are telling you, then you look at the stats, they have more than twice as many total yards. They outrush them by 200 yards. You look at that, and you're like, okay, the only way that a team is going to lose that game is if the quarterback comes up with as, much, as many turnovers to actually just give the game away. And that's what happened. So even though you can point to more good plays than bad, the only way they lose that game is if he turns the ball over three or four times and you turn it over four times. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Paul. That, that to me, you know, that was the difference between Big Ben, Big Ben, yeah. Big Ben, Big Ben. He was like, whoa, this ain't my first rodeo. I've played in Ravens-Steelers uh, games before. I'm going to let the game come to me. I'm not going to force anything or get us out of the game before it even starts. Let me kind of like feel it out. How's this going? When do I need to step on the pedal? When do I need to step on the brake? And that was the difference because Lamar and Baltimore, now of course, they're used to stepping on the pedal and nobody ever stopping them. They're, they're, so they're, they're used to steamrolling teams. And they certainly had their moments yesterday. Hey, that Steelers defense, they got run on. There's no doubt about it. I mean, early on in the game, it was on the edge, and then they kind of overcompensated and tried to stop edge runs, and then it went right up the middle. And the Ravens had their way really with either, either aspect of the run game there, which led to a big day. So uh, there's still a lot of positives from Baltimore and the offensive side of the ball. I think still the big question remains on this, though, Paul. With the Baltimore Ravens offense – as talented as, as he is, as Lamar Jackson is, as powerful as they are in the run game, again, in obvious past situations, I'm still not sold that 
the Ravens' pass offense, Lamar Jackson, can carry the squad when they need to. And we'll see where that goes. And that's not all on Lamar Jackson either. It's not the greatest pass offense in the history of football as far as the way it's orchestrated scheme and things like that as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm not blaming it all on Lamar. But that, I think, is still a real question going forward. And, um, you know, there's things I like, but it's just things I'm not sold on in that aspect. Of course, there's a lot of things you like. There's a lot of things that you love and a whole lot more things that you, that you like that you don't like. But I think that this game can't just live in a bubble, Chris. You yeah. and I both know the Ravens are so good. Right. Uh, they've clearly separated from most of the teams in the AFC, just like they did last year. And Lamar is separated from most of the quarterbacks. I think you feel very good about having him in your top five. Definitely. But if you go back to their last seven or eight games and say, okay, what are the three most important games there? Tennessee game in the playoffs, Kansas City game this year, Pittsburgh game yesterday. In those three games, what's the similar theme? The offense and Lamar, much lesser than they were in the other games where they steamrolled people. So uh, we've talked about this game a little bit. Yep. Let's, let's put it with those other two games, and Tennessee wait, and, and last and year. You're right. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to make one more point on the Ravens' offense just to be, before we flip over. That's all I'm saying. But go ahead with what you were saying. Well, th- th- this is on the Ravens' offense, but it's not just looking at this one game, Chris. It's comparing really – it's looking at their three biggest games of last year. Uh, and he has not played up to his standard. The offense hasn't played up to their standards. What was similar yesterday to the Kansas City game earlier, to the Tennessee game that ended last year, that wasn't very good for Baltimore? I, I, I would say, you know, not being, to your point, not just being able to consistently bully those defenses, right, to where, oh, we could just take it for granted every drive. We're just going to smash it up the middle on the edge and make these huge plays. Listen, they, they had their way with the run game, certainly. But I think the other thing, too, that I would take into aspect with those is, you know, pass rush people around Lamar Jackson and making him throw the ball into tighter windows. Those would be three things I would look at to go. They all had a common common thing in those three football games. They all did it a different way. The Titans were more of a let's play coverage last year. Our pass rush isn't that great. We'll flood zones and have people back there to make them throw into tight windows that way and not let them scramble. That's kind of the way they took it. Kansas City's been more of, no, we're going to man you up a little bit and there's no going to be no free zones or play action pass, wide open people over the middle. And then same thing a little bit of yesterday. Chris Jones, Frank Clark are capable of creating chaos and being around Lamar to now when he wants to buy time or an extend a play, he can't quite create the magic he normally can. And I think that's more along like what Pittsburgh did yesterday. You know, they can get those pass rushes around him to where he's not going to just make magic happen every time he drops back to pass or buy enough time to go, all right, everybody was covered, but now I've escaped the pocket. And, hey, receivers, you got four more seconds to get open or more open now. And, no, he couldn't do that because Dupree, Watt, everybody was running him down, and he didn't have that luxury. So that was a big thing. And here's the last thing I'll say about this, Paulie. Here's, you know, the Chiefs called their bluff, right? I, I, I think we did the Monday, the podcast right after that game a few weeks ago. The yeah. Chief, Spags called their bluff and basically was like, you're not running on me. Screw you. Look at these great pass looks. Let's see if you can beat me that way. And they didn't. And when it got big time clutch time yesterday, Paul, and it was the last drive of the game, 
the Pittsburgh Steelers played not a 3-4 defense. They played a 3-5 defense the whole last drive. 3-5, Paul. 3-5, the last two drives of the game. You know, I'm, and I'm specifically talking about the drive that ended up with the quarterback draw up the middle that he ends up fumbling on the fourth down, not the throw right. into the end zone drive, excuse me, just to say that. But they played a 3-5, three down linemen, five linebackers, and it didn't matter what personnel set the Ravens were in, Paul. Even when it was three wide receivers and one tight end, Pittsburgh played three defensive linemen and five linebackers and only three And, and, and by doing so, they're basically saying – we're stopping your run. I want to see if you can pass. We're not even hiding it. We're going to stop the run. You go ahead and try and throw. No doubt about it. That's exactly what they were doing. They were going, it's the biggest drive of the game. And the one thing we know you guys can do is run the ball. We're not sure you can go down and drive the ball, throwing it on us, and get a touchdown that way. And, hey, at the end of the day, they still ran the ball for the most part. The Baltimore didn't even trust Lamar to throw the ball all the way with some of these looks. So to me, it was one of the last things I wrote in my notes. I just wrote, kind of says it all right there. I don't know if his own team trust him totally in those situations just to let it go. And obviously, we've seen some of the top cream of the crop type defenses who don't believe it. Or they got to see it to believe it first. And they are going to err on stopping the run in those big moments. I, th- I think you recognizing that and pointing it out that it was happening in the last couple of drives. It wasn't something they ran up the flagpole in the second quarter and said, let's see if this works and see what happens. When they needed to stop the right. most, that's what they did. Isn't that an NFL defense saying what some people are, are wondering right now? Is like, If you have to pass, can you really do it? I, I think so, yes. And I'm not, I'm not sure the Ravens, just the way they called that last drive, I'm not so sure they believe they can either. I mean, really. Most offensive What do you mean the way they called it? Just what, because they were still leaning they, so heavily on the they run? Just still, they still went and run. I mean, here we go. I'll, I'll, let me just read out the plays on that, la- that last drive. We're talking about the one where they get on the, the fourth and three quarterback draw. Right. Um, that, that drive. But it's 3-5 defense the whole drive, and it's J.K. Dobbins run for seven. Gus Edwards run for four. J.K. Dobbins run for nine. Dobbins for five. Edwards for 20. Dobbins for 15, Lamar Jackson up the middle for three, Dobbins for two, Lamar Jackson up the middle for two, and then, of course, comes the quarterback draw. So they played three DBs in the game, five linebackers, and Baltimore still said, no, we're going to run it. Now, listen, they could be also saying this is what we do and we're going to do it no matter what, or are they saying – I don't know if I totally trust him to throw the ball down the field and win the game this way, so let's run it. I mean, you could take that either way. Uh, I, I don't know. But to me, that's something concerning once again because it's just, again, we're, we're, we're putting them in the Super Bowl level. And with Super well, Bowl teams, right, I'm just yeah, not sure they're going to get away with that. They put themselves there. I mean, it, it right. sounds to me like, Chris, like my summary from watching so far and from listening to you, I mean, I think 85% of the teams would sign up for what they have. But right now, it sounds like a team that's – Good enough to go 13-3, and three, but once they get to the playoffs, unless a giant step is taken with this offense led by Lamar Jackson, it's going to be disappointment again. I, I think that's very fair. I, you know, I, I got to see it to believe it. And I hope they err on continuing to throw. That's what they have to do. You know, in some of these games that they got coming up where they know, hey, we're the better football team, we're going to beat them, blah, blah, blah. You know, maybe you sacrifice – 
from not winning 35 to 10, and the game has to be 28 to 17. But you get more reps and more throwing the football and expand your offense that way to grow it. Just like we've talked with the Kansas City Chiefs, not going to be able to throw bombs every game against every defense. When you can't do that, what's your offense going to be? We've seen them get better at the run game and get better at the short passing game. Well, it's like vice versa with Baltimore. You're not going to be able to just smash mouth every good defense in the AFC or in the NFL. At some point, somebody's going to have them personnel to stop that. Can you beat the pass game? Can you grow it and be, you know, schematically creative enough to stress people? And that'll be something to watch for. And with your question about being schematically creative, and I do want to get on to Roethlisberger and the Steelers offense a little bit, uh, but Cody McKenzie asks, do the Ravens formations limit their offense? That's his question. And I want to ask, if so, how? Yeah, I, I don't think they do. You know, listen, there's certain formations when they get in there and they get into big, heavy personnel sets where, yes, obviously they're going to try to run the ball. It's two tight ends and, you know, the fullback Ricard, who's basically a, a defensive tackle playing fullback. So, yes, that's going to limit their passing options there, but they don't care in those, on those certain, like, personnel sets. They want to run the ball and just impose their physical will on you when they do that. But I think normally outside of that, after that, no. I don't think the personnel sets or the formations or anything like that are hindering the overall pass game. I don't. I think they can be a little more creative in ideas in the pass game. And then, of course, they just have some things they need to polish up and get better at. Okay, flipping it now to the Steelers' side of the ball. Let's start with this question uh, from Ezra Geisling. The question is, are the Steelers the most complete team in the NFL? And let's focus on that from the offensive side. Yes, right. Well, I mean, they're, they're in that conversation. They are. Uh, you know, there's some work on the offense. Can, can I say they can just definitely run it down somebody's throat if they have to? No, they cannot. And as you saw yesterday – what the Ravens did a really good job of is they took away what I call the Steelers' BS. And it's not BS, but it's part of their offense and how they really move the ball and screw over most defenses. But the screens, the short passes, all of those type of things that they use as like a de facto run game because that's really what they do. They can't run the ball consistently good, so they're good at wide receiver screens and short passes to kind of make up for that. Baltimore, that wasn't happening against them. It's the reason I picked the Ravens to win the game because they're going to play up in your face, aggressive. They're not going to give you those short throws or those wide receiver screens. And so that's still a work in progress for the Pittsburgh offense altogether. I think they're one of the more complete teams in football. I'm not sure I'm ready to say they're the most complete team quite yet to our buddy there's uh, question. But I, I was hoping I was kind of yeah. hoping you would go down that road because even though there's a lot to feel good about creating four turnovers, you get the win against your major division rival. Your quarterback plays well enough to win. They got dominated by the Baltimore defense dominated. for most of the game, didn't they? Yes, they got dominated. They couldn't do anything in the first half. What and, was the biggest problem? Well, r- really, I mean, Baltimore was capable. Yannick and Gokwave is a good trade. Let's just start off right there, okay? Yannick Ngakwe popped as, just about as much as anybody on, on the field yesterday on the defensive side of the ball. Ravens and Steelers, I mean that. He makes a difference for this team. But, you know, the, the Steelers and how the Ravens ma- – the Ravens can match up and play man-to-man that way, and they gave them a tough time. The, the Steelers really had a hard time separating from the Ravens' DVs. And then when you talk about the front four of – you know, Baltimore, 
It's, it's hard to run on that group, whether it's a nickel defense or whether they're in their base defense. Like, forget about it. I mean, they just they got so much versatility. They can get big. And now with Yannick Ngakwe, they have a true speed rusher. But, you know, more than, more than not, Paul, there's nothing specific I could sit here and tell you, like, oh, the Ravens were doing this. They played it pretty vanilla. It was man-to-man. It was two-man. It was a little cover three here and there. But more than, more than not, it was man-to-man in your face, and they had a lot of success with it, and the Steelers weren't capable of really uh, separating much throughout the day. As strong as that defense is in Pittsburgh, Chris, I don't think that they can count on them. They're not counting on creating four turnovers every game. Do you think Pittsburgh can keep winning, keep doing what they're doing while Ben Roethlisberger, and this is a pattern, is playing at, a, at a, an efficient level and playing really well, but his yards per completion often is less than 10 yards per completion. I mean, how much longer can they keep winning this way? Well, I, I think they can. They can. Now, they, listen, I don't think there's only a few defenses in football that are going to really give them problems like the Ravens can. And the one thing with Big Ben, you know, the one thing you got to give him credit for again yesterday, most times in games like that, the opposing quarterback against the Ravens starts to panic and they throw stupid throws, and they start to force the issue. And all of a sudden, it's a 17-7 game, and you look up and you go, we're losing 31-7, to you know, because that quarterback just couldn't help it. I got to do something. I got to make a play. Big Ben's patience was very important in the game. One of the other things that will go unnoticed about the football game that was really a big part of it was Pittsburgh took their shots down the field, and they didn't necessarily end up in completions, but what they did end up was a lot of big pass interference calls. And that was a big part of the football game. You know, I know you'll look at the stat sheet and go, yeah, the Steelers only had 221 yards of total offense. Well, also, the Ravens had 110 yards of penalties, and most of those were on the defense. So it's almost an extra 100 yards that the offense got that, yes, isn't going to go on their personal stat sheet, but it was at least for them being aggressive and going, hey, you're playing Chase Claypool man-to-man. We're going to throw it down the field. I don't care. We'll see what happens, but we're not going to let you play like this all day long. And uh, I think that was a little bit of an underrated value to the game altogether. But in the second half, the one thing they just figured out a little bit was they found ways at least to get the short passing game going, dink and dunk, an occasional shot, oh, pass interference, or maybe we got a few yards on that pass play. And that really was all they needed on the offensive side of the ball because of some of the things their defense did. Is it a fair, I guess, criticism uh, to, to point out that they're not getting a lot of yards per completion, or is it a compliment to their identity? They're saying this is who we are. This yeah. is what our quarterback can do. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's more of what it is. I think it's more of this is their identity this year. You know, it's going to be hard to create big pass plays for them all the time because they can't. They don't have a run game. They can't get underneath the center and just run it at you. So as you know. When, the, the best way to make big pass plays is play-action pass. And when you have that threat of the run game, they're in the shotgun almost the whole game. It's a spread offense. James Conner's a spread runner that way. And, again, let's just not forget, this might be the best corner duo in football they had to play yesterday. And it's a very damn good defense that's very well coached. And I'll, this is where I give Pittsburgh credit. When they're, they're two drives, they're two legit touchdown drives right not the ones that you know the one off the short field turnover and all that they just started playing one-on-one ball that that's really what they did they just said wait it's one-on-one out here big ben can throw strikes this guy will get open just enough five yards oh seven yards oh 
eight yards. And they just started to break it. They started to say, let's stop worrying about scheme and all this. They're playing man on the outside. Let's just go one-on-one. Big Ben, you throw it in there. And that really was about all there was to the game plan and what got them going on a few drives. And then, of course, they caught him in zone a few times where he hit a few other short passes. And that was that. I can't sit here and tell you there was anything special Pittsburgh did to expose Baltimore or anything like that. It was just a good all-around team win. Big Ben played smart. The offense made plays when they needed to. He, he was really accurate with the football and then made some, some of his biggest best throws when they really needed it You know, at the end of the game. He's been accurate all season. He's almost he's, he's up close to 70%, I believe. I think touchdown interceptions close to 4-1. to one. We pointed out the three picks he threw last week. You can kind of explain all of those and make sense of them. Uh, as for Baltimore's defense, I always like to, to kind of spin it forward when a team does well against one of the better offenses. Right. You pointed out they're very good at corner. They're very good up front. I know that. So other teams can't copy the personnel. But can other teams look at that film where they, for the most part, got the better of the Steelers' offense and say, we're going to apply that to our game plan against them. Yeah, it'll be hard. It will be hard. You'd have to have a special personnel set because I'll, I'll say this. With Pittsburgh right now, when they put Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and Juju Smith-Schuster on the field, that's going to be a hard three guys for any defense to match up with. And that's where I just go, you know, Baltimore's, they're special that way. And now with Yannick Ngakwe, too, they don't have to worry about blitzing as much. And I think it's just really going to make their defense even that much more dangerous and maybe better for when they have finally have to play the Patrick Mahomes and, and deal with that once again. Listen, they threw the, the, one, uh, the one play I wanted to talk about, too, is you know, he, he threw the little short, shallow cross to Eric Ebron, right? That, that yep. The second touchdown to make it 17-14. Hey, the young guy, Patrick Queen, he messed up there. He, he covered the wrong guy. He, just, he had a blown assignment there that – left him wide open for the touchdown. But other than that, I mean, their defense played really well, and they put them in tough spots and put the pressure on them, and the defense played well enough to win the game. It's just the offense put them in a tough spot, and uh, Pittsburgh took advantage of that and ended up winning the game. All right, before we wrap up and put a bow and set aside that really the marquee matchup of the weekend, uh, final thoughts there on Steelers or Ravens, either one of those teams? I, I still think that – these are two of the best teams of football, and I'm not backing down from the Ravens still as one of the best teams in the sport. You know, the Ravens are – I really think in a lot of ways they're going to come away from this game, and, yeah, they'll be pissed off, but they're going to go, wait, wait, we, we screwed this up. You know, we won a lot of areas of this football game, and I think it's going to do a, a lot of good for Lamar Jackson. Just the fact that he got to feel their speed and their aggression and their physicality to where if they, when they play him on Thanksgiving night on NBC or if they even got to play him in the playoffs, I think he'll know of that fine line of when to take a chance, when not to, and you know, not mess with these freaks of nature that the Steelers got up front. If you had to pick an AFC North champion right now, would you go Steelers or Ravens? I would go Steelers, especially now with the two-game lead. I, I, I do. I think it's going to be tough for Baltimore to overcome it. But I, I think Baltimore is going to make it close nonetheless. I do. I think they'll have a say here to where we get into December and we're going to go, whoa, it's one game or Baltimore won that second matchup and Pittsburgh's only got a one-game lead and they're going to kind of have to hang on down the stretch. You think Baltimore is one of the best three teams in the AFC? Oh, um, I don't think there's any doubt about that in my mind. Yes, I so do. So that, that would be Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and, and Baltimore uh, yep. is, is next? Yep, I'm going to put Kansas City one, Pittsburgh two, Baltimore three. 
That's how okay. I would see it there. Yeah, that would be my top three. Okay. Fun topics to come back to later as, yep. as the season moves on. Hey, that wasn't the only really close, fun game to watch at the end. That was one of the reasons yesterday was the early games to the late games. And I'm not including the, the Sunday night game, but the, the early afternoon, late afternoon kicks. We had some really tight ones. So I want to do like a mini deep dive, not a full deep dive, but kind of a, a little mini one on four of the best finishes we saw. Uh, let's begin this little segment here. Bills knocking off the Patriots 24-21. to 21. Yeah, well, I, I mean, hey, the end of the football game, New England, that game in general, it's still a little sloppy on their side yep. of the ball. I mean, there's just too many times where, you know, New England can't afford to get behind the chains. And they had a few drives, you know, in the end of the first half and third quarter and things like that where they get penalties. And once they get into second 20, it's over and all those issues. But they still ran the ball successful. And when they run the ball successfully, you know, it's going to be an ugly close game. And I think they got the game kind of exactly how they wanted to. Here we go. We got the ball. Last drive of the football game. It's Cam Newton time. Yeah, he makes a few throws on the drive. But the drive was really about, you know, the run game and – his ability to run, and, of course, the big fumble at the very end, which was a play that, one, they had already scored a touchdown with on Cam Newton's previous touchdown, and then, two, on that same drive, he ripped off, I'm going to say, a 12- or 13-yard run on basically the same run play. There was a one little difference. But either way, yes, they got into a spot there where they're sitting pretty. I mean, you're going, uh-oh. I mean, here they go. He's going to have a chance to score a touchdown to win the game. He's in the shotgun. He's got Rex Burkhead to his left. He's got two receivers to his left, Polly. The outside receiver comes in. They're going to run basically the old toss-crack play, right, where you toss it to the tailback, and then two guys on the outside block down, and you got some pulling linemen now that are going to go up and around that and lead the running back through the hole, except he's not tossing it. He's just taking the ball himself, and now he's got Rex Burkhead leading the way for him. He does a great job of waiting for his blockers, finding the hole, sees it there, and then makes the appropriate cut up to the hole, and he's going to have an 8, 10-yard gain, whatever it may be. But I'm blanking out on big old 61's name on the Buffalo Bills. He hustles from the other Which side. Which is Ferris State, that's what I remember. Yeah, well, he hustles, and he makes a great play coming in full yeah. speed, throwing his big right arm up there and you know, ultimately stripping Cam Newton of the football. It wasn't good enough to win, uh, but it was much better than it was last weekend. Uh, the, the numbers, the production, they had a couple of touchdown drives, uh, but they lost. And it was a pretty ugly game. More encouraged by the Patriots or just disappointed in what they've been doing here recently? Yeah, and then my guy, 61, was Justin Zimmer. Sorry about that, Mr. Yeah. Zimmer, to blank out on your name there. But um, I still think... With this particular game and everything like that, I, I would I still look at it and go, they might still have a say in this. I know they're two and five, and it's it's looking dark. It's not looking good. But, Bottom half of the AFC East with right now Buffalo and Miami clearly ahead of them. Do you, yes, I mean I, I know. I, th- I I think they'll be competitive at some point too, but yeah. I, I I think they finished third in that AFC East. Do you? Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sold on that yet. I'll, I'll say I'll I'm not going to give up on them. With I got to see more from Tua and everything there in Miami, too. I mean, I can't expect Brian Flores and his defense to just crush quarterbacks and score defensive touchdowns every other play. So I'd like to see a little bit more there, and that's where I give them a fighting chance. And as you see, too, you know, when their run game goes, and even without Stephon Gilmore, 
their defense can be real good at stopping the pass. You know, that, that's one thing they're, they, they are legit. You know, there's going to be a few games that are going to be mismatches. They got to play the Ravens in a few weeks. How can the Patriots stop the Ravens run game? I don't even know how that's possible. There's no chance. So, you know, they're going to lose that game, I expect. And then they're going to have to win just about every other game other than that here going on, going forward. And I don't know if that's capable, but they are going to still be a right. pain in the butt going forward. I want to bring it back into this game. The, the Bills knocking off the Patriots 24-21. A couple of questions from our friends. At Derek Rudolph says, comment on the Bills' ability to turn their pass-first offense into a complete ground attack for the win. Singletary and Moss rushed for 167 combined. Yeah, I, that's where I give McDermott a lot of credit. You know, not banging his head against the wall going, wait, no, we're a passing team. And, you know, screw the elements and screw who we're playing. We're just still going to throw it because that's what we are. No, thank you. I mean – you don't always have to put the whole game on Josh Allen's shoulders. Other guys are allowed to help. And you're crazy when you play the New England Patriots if you don't try to run the ball on them. You know, we've talked about it for the last three weeks. They don't have big people. They're not going to be able to stop the run against anybody. So you have to continue to stay patient with it. And then it was a real windy, crazy day. And when you get too crazy into the drop-back pass game play after play against New England – you know, Bill's going to do some creative things where it's going to cause a mistake or a turnover that'll sway the game. So I think that's something that's at least positive here for Buffalo as of late. You know, they've played four defensive coordinators who are pretty damn good ones that have been able to slow their passing attack. It's made them force a run game. The Chiefs, the Jets, this pass game have forced them to run the ball a little bit more. And I think ultimately that will help them in the long run. But let me just say this. To me, the biggest mm -hmm. part of this football game, it's 14-14. New England has tied the game. They have momentum for the first time in three weeks. They have something positive as an organization. And I, I don't understand this, and I'm sure he's got a better reason, but Belichick kicking the onside kick at 14-14 mm. still is, like, dumbfounding to me. I don't, I don't get it. I don't. Your, your defense was playing well. You got the momentum, you kick an onside kick, and the momentum kind of gets squashed right there, and it goes right back to Buffalo once they recover it. it it's one of those things where if it works, I mean, are, are we still saying, boy, that wasn't very good logic? No, I, I mean, you're right. I, I know. It's, it, it, I, I get it. If it works, you know, sure, yes. But if, yeah. if, if butts and candy and nuts, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say there. And, you know, the, the big thing to me is, like I said, there hadn't been much movement on the offense. You know, that was what? That, that was a, basically a start of the fourth quarter or a late third quarter onside kick. And Buffalo hadn't really done much since the second quarter. Why, why let them off the hook? Why give them the short field to do that? Good points. I'm just, right. I'm just surprised by it. That's all I'm saying. Right. I know he's the genius of all geniuses, Bill Belichick, and how dare I sure. question him, but I was just surprised. <laughs> well, I mean, th this next question I asked uh, now pulls away from that game a little bit. And kind of speaks to this question people are, are talking about now between Belichick and Brady. Josh Love fan account says, is this Pat season showing us just how valuable Brady was? Did we overrate Belichick a bit or is this mess of a team not his fault? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, the mess of the team is Bill's fault. He's the GM, you know, COVID-19 hurt them. You can't run the NFL for 20 years straight. I don't know what everybody expects. At some point, they've kind of, you know, where they fooled people is they got to retool their team in 2008, 2009, 2010, 
and they were still going to the playoffs, an AFC championship game, and then went to the Super Bowl in 2011. And that was just so rare that they were able to do that. And, no, I don't think this speaks to anything of like, oh, now this proves that Brady's – what's listen, how good would Tampa Bay be if Bill right. Belichick was coaching them? I mean, yeah. they're not even – New England's not even in the same stratosphere as Tampa Bay as far as talent's concerned. It's not even sure. – if you took the 22 starters on both teams, I bet you you'd have 18 or 19 Buccaneers players on the team and just two or three guys from the Patriots, maybe in the secondary – and one or two offensive linemen, the rest of the team is going to be all Bucks. So sure. I don't think it shows anything. Brady's doing awesome. New England's got a tough year ahead of them here. COVID-19 threw them off schedule. And listen, they're going to be set up very nicely for next year and the salary cap and those issues too. Uh, right. To where, you know, let's, let's not judge it all by just the first eight weeks apart and see where this goes for years and years to come. Right. That's a very good perspective. But I, I think this is what a lot of fans are thinking. I, I watched the I highlights this morning with my oldest son. And after the Patriots highlights, he looked at me and goes, oh, so, so it was Brady all that time, huh? Yeah. And I, I'm not saying it's right. It's no. just I, I think it's where people's minds are. Oh, I, I, it definitely is. Well, it's just the, it's, it's the era we're in again, where it's always just quarterback, 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 quarterback. Sure. You know, and, and, and so be it. Either way, Belichick and Brady were awesome together. I will, you'll always hear me say Belichick was more important. I mean, that'll never sway in any shape, way, or form. I mean, What sways you that way the most? Like, well, what's I the mean, deciding part of that? Well, let, let's just – all right. So, the first – I mean, the first – you know, early in his career, it was defense and run the ball. I mean, Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. He threw for 145 yards. You know, he won the MVP. He threw for 145 yards. Right. And 55 of them were on the last drive of the game. All right. Yes, he got better as time went, but think about all the great things. You know, first off, there's more talent there on those teams than people ever want to talk about. Every, that's all I ever hear. Oh, Brady didn't have anybody. I mean, that's bullshit. Troy Brown, Deion Branch, Daniel Graham, Ben Watson, Rob Gronkowski, greatest tight end ever, Randy Moss. The, the slot receiver wasn't even invented. You know who invented it? The Patriots, Wes Welker. Oh, the two tight end set, Aaron Hernandez and Gronk. We're going to run it. We're going to split them out. All those things are all schematical advantages that New England was always ahead of the times with, you know. Even going from the first Super Bowl and then the winning the second and third one, they were running and playing defense. The, the rules changed for the pass game. Belichick said, the hell with this. We'll start spreading it out. Let's throw it every play. You're not going to be able to play defense anymore with the way these rules are. We'd be stupid not to throw it. They did that. So Brady, awesome. I don't want to take anything away from him. But Belichick is on another level compared to just to any other coach I've ever seen. Brady didn't even play this past weekend, Chris, and we find a way to, to, well, to, to work he, in some kind He'll of stoke it up this, this tonight because he's going to tear the Giants up and people are definitely yes. going to be like, oh, man, it was all right? Brady in New England. Okay, next close game we want to take a closer look at. Vikings, uh, surprisingly, I mean, how often does last place in a division go on the road to first place and, and win 28-22? to 22? Let's start by taking a peek here. We have a graphic of a Kirk Cousins passing chart against uh, the Aaron Rodgers passing charts. And these are always fun, Chris. Kind of for those of us, or for everybody who can't see at home, they're just listening and not watching, what exactly are you seeing here? Well, I'm seeing the ball spread everywhere with Aaron Rodgers because he's got to throw it everywhere. With Kirk Cousins, there's 11 for 14, and nothing is past 10 yards. And nothing is really much farther outside than the inside edge of the numbers on the football field. So 
the game was just served up on a silver platter for him. And of course it was. Because when you can run the ball like you could with Dalvin Cook and the Minnesota Vikings, mm. what you don't need to do a whole lot else in the pass game. I mean, that was, first of all, a fun game to watch. But I think second of all, I mean, a butt whooping by the Minnesota Vikings and their offensive line and what they did to the Packers front seven. The Packers front seven's not good. I, 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 you've heard me saying this since last year. Yeah. I've been trying to tell everybody. Yeah, it's, they got some pass rushers. But when it gets to the interior part of their D-line, there's or their linebackers, they got nothing. Kenny Clark's good. I think he's a little overrated. I don't think he's as good as everybody else thinks he is. But they got two rookie middle linebackers. And then the other interior line, linemen they have in Larry and Lancaster, you know, they're, they're just big. They're just bodies. They're, there's never a play made by anybody in the interior part of that defense. And the Vikings just beat them into submission yesterday with the run game. I have a question here that's kind of extreme from at Bird Grayson. And it's to your point there. He says, can you expose the Packers defense for being complete bums for an entire decade? Mike Patton is horrible and the players couldn't tackle a garbage can. Yeah, well, I, you know, again, it's not all Mike Patton. Some of the players are the issue, too. And they're built to play in front. Aaron Rodgers, they, they score a touchdown on the first drive of like every game from LaFleur and Rodgers era so far. Right. So they score touchdowns, they get up 7, 10, 14 points, and then that allows them to play some of the creative Mike Pettin coverages, and they have the Smiths and Zadarius and Preston Smith who can get after the pass rusher. That's really their beauty. But as we see, whenever a game stays equal with, with Green Bay, they, their defense falls apart because they can't both stop the run and the pass at the same time. They can't. And then when they let a team be balanced and still able to run it on them, they really can't, and they have big issues. Major issues. I mean, Aaron Rodgers can be as wonderful as he wants. If they can't stop the run and the pass at the same time, unless they get drastically better, you're not talking about a team that can succeed in January. No, they're not. Again, this is not a Super Bowl team. This is a playoff team with a Super Bowl quarterback where we're all going – can they win the Super Bowl? Are they the best team in the division? No, they're not. They're not. 12 is fooling us. 12 wants us to make us believe that they're this shiny Green Bay Packer gem that's a Super Bowl team. But, you know, again, as you see yesterday, it's just they can't depend on their defense against really good offenses, and especially ones that can overpower them up front. They had issues last year. Paul, they went down and scored a touchdown. Vikings scored a touchdown. Packers scored a touchdown. Vikings scored a touchdown. Now, Vikings get the ball the second, start the second half. They go down and score a touchdown. It's 21 to 14, and then the Packers have to go for it on fourth and 10. They're kind of in no man's land on the 38 yard line. And, you know, their kicker, Mason Crosby, I guess had a little injury, so they were a little worried about that. It's a windy day, but. It's fourth and ten, and they already know, like, we have to go for it because our defense is – we're never going to stop them. They're going to run for seven, run for seven, throw for five, run for seven every play of the whole game. And they don't make that fourth and ten, and what happens? They run for a few yards, and then he throws a screen for 50 yards against, Tampa, uh, against Green Bay, who's trying to disguise and then drop into Tampa too. Um, so major concerns with that Green Bay football team. Again, still so much of the game and so much of their success is all predicated on what Rodgers does early and can he kind of put, you know, you know your neck underneath their boot 
and and they just sit there and you know most teams kind of melt away and that never got to that point yesterday because Minnesota's offense kept answering the bell and running it down their throat. As for Aaron Rodgers and also on Devontae Adams, I want to connect uh, something that was important yesterday to something that was really important in the game, the way they just kind of rolled over the Texans last week. And we answered the question, dealt with it. Why wouldn't they double and spend more attention uh, or give, give more attention to Devontae Adams? Well, the question here from uh, Anakit Tapaldi says, when the Vikings were without their top corners, why did Green Bay not pepper Devontae Adams as they did last week? Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a fair question. You know, listen, it wasn't like, they had issues finding open receivers. You know, Minnesota doesn't play the man-to-man coverage all the time like the Houston Texans did where there was like they were basically daring Aaron Rodgers. Like, look, it's Devontae Adams. There's, a, there's just a, an average DB on him and bump man-to-man. Do you want to throw to him? And he was like, yeah, I have to. Even though I love the play over here, I have to. You know, Minnesota, they don't play that in-your-face, bump-and-run style of play as much. So maybe when there was those three deep zones, because they have attacked on the outside and do that. But really, Rodgers and company, you know, moving the ball or finding open receivers was, was not an issue yesterday. It was not. You know, we talked about that fourth and ten, right? There, that stalled that drive. The next drive, they moved the ball down the field. And you're thinking, okay, here they go again. They're going to score. And they have a few penalties to where they ended up in like second and 30. So there goes that drive. You know, they get the ball back again in the fourth quarter. They drive the ball down the field, and it's blatant pass interference on the Minnesota Vikings. And they pick the flag up. I I still don't know how that is. And I saw Aaron Rodgers today. He made some comment like he thinks New York, you know, got in the Mm, referee's ears. Well, it looked like it on TV. It did. You know, I don't know how – how can you throw pass interference? The guy hit the receiver – and then the ball hit the defender in the back of the head. So he hit the receiver, then the ball hit him. And that's not pass interference? I, that makes Ow. no <laughs> sense at all, right? So, you know, I think, again, what I'm just trying to say to answer the question is they, they had people open, and they didn't play the same defense the Texans did to just feature Devontae Adams like they did two weeks ago in that game. So the Packers getting upset at home by the last place team in the NFC North, the Vikings. That opened the door for the Bears. It's amazing uh, how inconsistent they've been. But if they win yesterday, the Bears would be in first place. Uh, somehow they took the Saints to overtime and they lose 26-23. to 23. Uh, Let's zoom in on the, I guess, the uh, back half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter here. I actually turned away from this game to do other things, Chris, because even though the Saints, I think, were up by like 10, it felt like they were up by like 30. They were rolling. The Chicago offense looked dreadful. How did they come back and send this to overtime? Well, uh, took some shots down the field. Penalties by the New Orleans defense. And Foles just being tough, you know. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, at least Chicago at moments during the game the other day did take some shots down the field to back some people off that way. But it wasn't like there's nothing pretty there's nothing I could tell you that I just look away, look at the last part of the game to just go, oh, you know, they picked them apart or they found this angle or whatever it may be. No, they just kind of nickeled and dimed their way down the field the last few drives to tie it up, you know, and, and or, of course, get to get within three and then tie it up from there. But nothing special that way. New Orleans just always seems to find a way to get a penalty, 
You know, oh, it's man-to-man. Somebody gets beat. You know, Marshawn Lattimore been very unimpressive this year. He's not even the best corner on their team. That, that's, that's, that goes to Janoris Jenkins. He's by far their best pure cover man-to-man corner right now. Um, but, you know, all in all, I, I, I think that's all I can really say about it there, Paulie. It was nothing special to look at that way. You know, the, the big thing with the Saints more than anything is they can't create big plays on offense, and they give up a few big plays every game. And they gave up big plays to Chicago, who's not even capable of making big plays against anybody in the sport. But the, the, like, it kind of says it all. You know, the Saints have a top 10 yards allowed defense, but they're like le- getting up 29 points a game or somewhere in that range. And that just tells you that, yeah, they're having moments of shutting you out, but they always let up a big play or make a big penalty in a big moment, and I think that's really causing them a lot of issues. I think a lot of the questions coming up around the Bears, they showed great fight, and I agree, not only good – physical toughness, maybe you were referring to mental toughness from Nick Foles too, from hanging in there and kind of persevering through those really difficult stretches. But I think the questions about the Bears go more to uh, the inconsistency, the play calling, and the offense that can be maddening to watch. At AT93-02 says, why are the Bears so Jekyll and Hyde on offense, and is there hope for improvement? Well, yeah, I don't know if there's – I think it's all Jekyll – not there is no hide. I mean, or which one's the good one? Which one's the bad one? Jekyll or Hyde? I don't know. And, and, and I hear what you're saying, though. I mean, it's mostly bad. There isn't much good, no matter who Jekyll and Hyde. No, are. yeah, exactly right. It's just there, there's there's not. He says Jekyll is good. Okay, Hyde's Hyde is bad. bad. So what I'm saying is, there's I only I really only see Hyde. I don't really yeah. see Jekyll a whole lot. I don't. Would you, would, would you like to see Trubisky back? No, I don't. I, again. You know, the offensive scheme, there's nothing to it. I don't ever come away from a Chicago game and going, oh, man, those were some unbelievable pass plays or a really cool way to dissect that defense and do what they did there. Not at all. You know, there's no rhyme or reasons to the what, what they call. I never see a, you know, intended game plan where I go, oh, this is what they're trying to do this week. And then, of course, their offensive line – is not physically dominant or good enough to just be able to run the ball on anybody that way, nor do they give their offensive line the schematical advantage either to create any advantages for them. So their offense is going to be challenged throughout. I mean, that's just the way it'll be. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. The one thing I'd like to see change is just, just, man, Nick Foles, you got brought in there to take care of the football, and he's had Mm. a lot of issues with that ever since he's taken over. He's good for a turnover or two every game. Right. No matter how Matt Nagy is calling the game and no matter how the offensive line plays, no matter if it's Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, what kind of advantage or disadvantage do they have tight end, receiver, running back? Well, it's not bad as far as tight end and receiver are concerned. I don't look at, like, Chicago and go, oh, they're undermanned. Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet, Anthony Miller, you know, Mooney and and Robinson, Allen Robinson, that's a pretty damn good five I just mentioned. You know, running back, no, I'm not thrilled with. You know, Montgomery's a good back. He's your number two. He shouldn't be your star bell cow guy. You know, he, he is not that type of running back. And there's too many yards he leaves on the field on a week-to-week basis. So that offensive line and running back, I could certainly sit there and go, no, there's not enough there, not enough top-end talent to make them good in that area. It'd be hard no matter who was coaching. But I'm saying the coaching doesn't give it, uh, you know, give it all the help it needs either. 
All right, moving out to the AFC. Wait, and we gotta, wait, a, wait, hold on. We got to talk more yeah. about the Saints just real quick. The Saints. Which side? Well, again, we tip the Saints on their defense and what they do there. But, I mean, how, how can you not be somewhat concerned with the Saints and their offense, too? You know, again, they're in a Which ability. part of it bothers you the well, most? Well, they just can't. It just, it's, it's just ugly. It's just they can't create any big plays. You know, I don't know. I mean, can is the Saints, if they play outside in January, are they going to be able to win a game? I, I don't know. The way Drew Brees they threw won. the ball out there yesterday. I, I yeah, yeah, there was there yeah. some ugly stretches. There but I mean, stretches. just to play the other side, they've won four games in a row. I know. Uh, they, they did they did enough to win. That's I mean, right. Alvin Kamara is a star and they're doing it without Michael Thomas. No, you're right. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to hate on them. They're in that rare group of teams where I hold to a Super Bowl standard and that's what I'm measuring on them. You know, I mm-hmm. know they're a playoff team. I know they're one of the best teams in football. I'm talking about if they got to win the Super Bowl, that's really what scares me about them overall. It really right. does. And, you know, yesterday was the first game Drew Brees played outside the, do- the Dome all year. It's the yeah. first outside game they played. You know, and, yeah, there were some shaky moments, certainly, to where, yeah, like I think that what you said, I mean, they had moments to, they could have put the Bears away, and they never could do that. They, they let never them did, hang yeah. around, and, of course, it became a coin flip game there at the end. And I think one of the numbers that's very telling, uh, Pete just confirmed it with me, Drew Brees' average throw downfield was just over five yards downfield. His average attempt, which was, I think, pretty easily the lowest in the NFL. About three weeks ago, we talked about Drew and the offense going to Detroit and pushing it downfield just a little bit more in that yeah. 10 to 15-yard range. Right. That that has kind of gone away a little bit. Yeah, it has. Well, any point of defense, too, we, you know, the Bears are good. We know that, right? And the Bears are one of those teams, too, that goes, no, our front seven's good. We're not going to give you easy pass looks. We're going to let our front seven run the, you know, r- let them handle the run game. And that, that lets them let up some run yards at times, but they're not going to give up the big pass plays. And, you know, that's what they did yesterday. They made it hard for them to throw the football down the field. But the ball, yes, it was not coming out of Drew Brees' hand with any pop. And he no. was very fortunate to not throw – a few interceptions that hit the Bears right in the chest. I mean, there was two in overtime where, I mean, the Bears are going to have a chance to win the game and be in a good field goal in field goal position, and they dropped the ball there. But just something to watch out for them. I know there's no Michael Thomas, but uh, that's what concerns me about them a little bit. Does, it, does his motion, does, does Drew's motion look uh, like shorter and yes. a little compromised compared to what he used to? Well, yeah, it's definitely shorter and tighter, no doubt about it. And I'll say just what I said a few weeks ago, I, I think there's a reluctance to push the ball down the field too. Yesterday mm-hmm. I felt like that. It was one of those days where, yeah, he was looking downfield, but he was really just waiting to throw it underneath. Hey, look, coach, yeah. I'm looking downfield. Oh, there's the underneath throw. Oh, what would you see downfield? Oh, it was a little hairy. Okay, Drew, sure. And then he gets the five-yard completion. That's cool. But, um, yeah, I just don't know if that's going to be, re- like, realistic against good playoff football teams as we get farther uh, down the road here in the season. I think it's fair that you point that out because with, with the success Drew and that offensive had, we're not saying, hey, can this be an 11-5 and team? Of course it can. We're really yes. thinking about them. What can they do in January? And you get to see some changes there uh, to think it's going to be a team that can make some moves there. AFC now. Yes? Yeah. Green light. Green light to move out to the AFC West. Let's do it. This is the one I've been uh, looking forward to the most. And there were some really fun close games yesterday. 
Uh, but it's kind of a man crush game for you a little bit, to be honest, with Drew Locke playing for the for the Broncos, Justin Herberts for the Chargers. And just like the Saints game where I, I kind of turned away at a point in the second half and said, there's no way Chicago's coming back. I turned away from this game and said, there is no way the Chargers are losing this game. What happened in the fourth quarter? I mean, 24 to three lead. Wasn't even close. It was hopeless. I mean, with that defense, you know, just that front four, Tillery, Ingram, Linville, Joseph, Bosa, all those guys, you would think they could close the football game out. You know, you really would. But, I, I, you know, big plays, that's the story of the comeback. I think more than anything, you know, whether it's, hey, it's 24 to three, they're in trouble. You know, you let up a 55-yard touchdown run to Philip Lindsay to get him jump-started, to get a minute 28 minute 28 drive you so you do that to get it going then okay they go on a good sustained drive they run the ball lock hits some good throws does all of that but then to then answer after that and then go on a two-play 75-yard drive where they rip off again another big run and then he hits a wide open Deshaun Hamilton in the middle of the field you know again it's not that I'm I'm it's not that, hey, yeah, they came back and did all that, but to let them off the hook with quick scores and the ability to get 14 points just in those two drives. Did where, they take their foot off the gas schematically to what they were doing earlier in the game? No, you know what? I can't really say that they did. I can't. You know, the long touchdown throw to Deshaun Hamilton down the middle, they're playing cover three, and one of the underneath droppers takes the cheese on one of the underneath guys and leaves a big hole to where he's open behind him. That's an issue there. You know, bad run fit on the long run, on the, on the long run by Lindsey. And then the last drive of the game was just, it was Drew Locke showing great patience, nickel and dining them down the field, and then, of course, getting the big pass interference call, which, man, is a tough What'd call. What would you think of that call? What would you think? I wish they wouldn't call that. Right. I, you know, the defense won that play. The defender had outside leverage. The wide or the tight end in this case is trying to run an outside breaking route. Now the problem is Faison doesn't really get his head around. I understand that. So that's where he's going to be in trouble. And it's where in my notes I just wrote, can we just can DB start playing the ball and stop this like we're going to play right. the hands of the receiver when his hands go up? I mean that never works. They never break the pass up. And they, if they do, it's pass interference. You can call it for pass interference, yes. Right. So yeah. uh, that was a big call. I'd like to see that not called because, the de- like I said, the defense won. He wasn't going to fit that in there. You right. know, the, ball, the guy was going to catch the ball out of bounds regardless. But nonetheless, they called it. I get it. That's the way it's called this day and age in the NFL. And then the next play is a touchdown. It's too bad because then it's down there inside the five-yard line. And all, all he really – if you're if you're watching it at a clinic, you can say this is where you should turn your head around. But besides that, he he played it really really well and won that battle, like you pointed out. I I, I love that game watching it. When I turned back to it at the end, I hated that that allowed the Broncos to be down there so close. Yeah, no, agreed. And really, he doesn't have to turn and play the ball. Just don't run through the defender. You're allowed to right. face guard in NFL. People forget that a lot of the time. You can play a guy and not look at the ball. You don't. You can do that. You could face. You could do this and put your hands in the face of the receiver, all of those things, but just don't right. push him. And that's where I think yeah. he got it is he didn't look 
and then his body contact kind of rode the tight end out of bounds, and I think that's what the referee saw, and that was it. And then the next play, great little creative sprint right option play by the Denver Broncos, right? They got, you know, K.J. Hamler, who comes from the opposite side, and he comes in a little quick motion, set hut. Drew, uh, I mean, not, doesn't even come in quick motion. He's set off to the left. They do a fake little play action, and he comes behind the line of scrimmage. And really, the Chargers do a pretty good job of covering it. But the guy covering K.J. Hamler now realizes, wait, Drew Locke can run in the end zone. And he knows he's got somebody behind him to help him, so he attacks the quarterback, and the guy behind him just can't pick up the coverage in time quick enough before Drew Locke gets it there. Touchdown, game over, and uh, sorry, Chargers. Yeah, uh, big time sorry. I I know the Broncos' record isn't very good, uh, but two weeks ago when they lost in New England, I thought Drew Locke did some really good things, the way he aggressively pushed the ball downfield. Before I talk about Herbert, let's and they won in New Locke England, a little bit as you here. misspoke there. They won in New England. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they yes. did not look good. That they their offense didn't really look that right. good in doing so. But you're right. They did find a way uh, to beat the Patriots. But let's give Drew Locke a little love here, as he found a way to bring him back when it looked like they were dead. Best thing you can say about Drew right now? Well, he's like the power throws is where he's making his money right now. It's those type of 15, 20, 25 yard throws that, yeah, are, we're seeing some inconsistencies uh, here and there, bad decision, a little off throw here or there, but he's making up with it with explosive plays in the pass game, and I think that's probably the best thing he's got going for him. I mean, yeah, it's not perfect, you know, and their offense isn't perfect too. It's not all about him, but the fact that he kind of hung in there in the football game and then, hey, just hung around enough to give themselves a chance and then he make a few plays, he's got talent. You know, I really still like the young nucleus they have there. Let's let's not, you know, you know, jump off the ship quite yet just because we had a bad last two games of Drew Locke. I still think there's a lot right. of positives to build on. I agree. A question here from Adam Alberti. Joe Burrow is probably the safer pick for the entire career, but Herbert has to win Rookie of the Year, right? Not a, I've not been this impressed with a flashy rookie quarterback since Deshaun. Yeah, it's uh, – it's that, I don't even know. This is a tough one. I need more time to evaluate this one. I mean, Herbert has made more big-time plays as far as highlight, bombs down the field. Oh, my gosh, look at that throw. You know, now they have some talent at receiver, and he's got better pass protection than Joe Burrow, too. So that's been able to at least make that happen. But, man, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, we're going to talk Cincinnati in a few minutes. Joe Burrow, is he's freaking good. Right. It might not be as eye-popping, whoa, laser beams through the air and things like that. But holy crap, sure. does he make his share of unbelievable plays. Uh, just does it in a different, different fashion. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. That is the appetizer, Chris, for uh, Victory Lap. And you know what's coming now, the Victory Lap theme song. Let's go. Smells like victory. Victory is mine. Victory! Could have been Russell Crowe in there and Gladiator yelling, victory is mine. Or, is that him? I don't is he think involved that was. There? I don't think that could was. Could have his. been. I know. Same idea. Been. Same idea. So, yeah, Pete says we're doing the research. Hey, Joe Burrow. Yeah. Bengals beat the Titans 31 to 20. Uh, Burrow was Chris's number one quarterback in the draft. A lot of people had him number one, but you were pretty bullish on him. You said he had the cleanest film of any college quarterback you ever scouted. A lot of times it takes a while for that to actually show up on Sundays. And I know the record isn't great, uh, but I I think he's been close to terrific this last month. Oh, I mean, you're right. It is terrific. You know, and again, yesterday wasn't about like, oh, it wasn't a 400-yard day and all that type of stuff. The thing that continues to amaze me with Joe Burrow is, and this is what I, you know, this is a big part of my grading of quarterbacks. When there's nothing there to be had, what are you going to do? And what are you going to make happen? Is it going to become a bad play and now it gets worse because there was nothing there? You know, is it going to become, hey, it's just smart. We threw it away. We live to play another day. Or can you actually make a play and do something when nothing's there to be had? And that's what Joe Burrow constantly does. I mean, he has so many good plays. I feel like it's a little like Patrick Mahomes early in his career where I went, that's lucky. That's Mm. lucky. And then I found myself, okay, that's the 85th time I said that's lucky. It's not lucky anymore. That's good. And I feel like Joe Burrow's the same thing, where every week I go, oh, that's kind of lucky he got that in there. Eh, man, that was a lot of pressure. Ooh, he still got that in there. Whoa, that was lucky. Right. I, I say it six times a game. So it's, it's over. It's not luck. He's that damn good. Right, exactly. He really You expected is. him to be good, Chris. You, you expected him to, at the very least, uh, show promise this season. He's done more than that. In what way has he surprised you and been even better? Yeah, I think that it, it is probably that just extending the play, playmaking ability to where I look at it and just go, man, okay, oh, gosh, the, the, the pocket broke down. He scrambles for five when he should have got sacked for a five-yard loss. You know, nobody's open. Now he's got to get out of the pocket, try to buy some time so people can get open. Oh, first down, 12-yard throw, great job. Hey, nobody's open, and the pass protection's horrible. Okay, he dances around and makes a play that way. I mean, yesterday, you know, at one point, the game was, I believe at this point, it's 10 to 7. It's a fourth and four they have. Kind of a no-man's land, the Bengals. They call a pass play with Joe Burrow. Nobody's open. He runs around, buys time, and throws like a 25, 30-yard throw down the middle of the field to T. Higgins for a first down. It's just constantly yeah. plays like that. It's constantly, let alone, like, unbelievable pinpoint accuracy and things like that just in the normal drop-back pass game that have all been really impressive. Right. I think if I'm remembering correctly, Chris, and we, we talked about him so many different times this past spring, that even though we were adding up 
uh, the compliments and reasons to believe in him as the number one pick. I think maybe you talked about arm strength being okay, but not great. Has have you seen signs of that at all? I have, and early in the year, you know, when you were still doing Tour de France and some of those things, <laughs> I said that I was I was a little that was the one thing that was a little concerning. Yes, you know, there were yeah. some throws in those first two games, the Browns game on Thursday night, where you're like, man, people are open downfield, and he threw that like four or five yards short or three yards short. There was a little of that, but last week. I talked about it on the podcast at one moment. I said, I think there's a, I think that Joe Burrow has made a little adjustment with his mechanics a little. And the, you know, in this last Cleveland game where they lost, you know, the one thing I noticed and I talked about it is his motion. He was very vertical to start the year. He's kind of a vertical thrower. It goes from this side down to the opposite pocket. But as you've heard me say a million times, Paulie, you watch Mahomes, Rodgers, yeah. Brady. It's across the body. And I see in more and more throws where Joe Burrow's ending up like this instead of uh, like that. And it yeah. has a, it allowed him to drive the ball into some tighter windows. So, you know, again, he's talented. His arm's not going to be Mahomes or Rodgers or like that. But it's damn good enough to make every throw possible and still be an awesome, awesome quarterback and uh, blown, away, blown away by everything about Joe Burrow so far. One question about the other team, the losing team there, Tennessee, at you evolving says, uh, did the Titans have a hangover from the loss to the only unbeaten team in the league? That's Pittsburgh last week. Or is Joe Burrow just that good? Well, Joe Burrow's damn good. And they match up well with them, too, as far as, you know, Titans can't stop the pass game. Bengals have a lot of ways to throw the ball and throw it short and get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. And then, of course, he made a few plays. But I do think that, Hey, the old saying in football is like, don't let the same team beat you twice, right? You lose that big football game and you kind of like, you know, why, you know, just uh, self-pity all week. Oh, how did we lose that? How did we lose that? And you're still thinking about it Thursday. And then all of a sudden you don't realize that it's starting to affect that week's of pra- week of practice. So I think between, yeah, devastating loss, and then they saw the Bengals on the schedule and they said, we're better than them, that, right. yeah, human emotions allowed them to – let the foot off the gas pedal a little bit. And, hey, they played slot. We haven't seen Ryan Tannehill throw stupid interceptions like that down in the red zone. Then Goskowski misses a long field goal the next drive. Then they get down there the next drive, and they're on fringe territory again as far as a field goal, and they go for it. Or, no, they punt it. Excuse me. They're on, like, the 38-yard line, and they punt it because it's a windy day. They don't want to kick another long field goal with Goskowski. They want to do that. They punt it away. Well, Damn, damn Bengals took that drive and went down the field and scored. So uh, just a sloppy game, didn't take care of, take advantage of some of the opportunities they had. And I think the other thing, too, again, we, we've said this every week of the Titans, you know, the, their, their defense, it's, it's worrisome. They can't mm-hmm. rush the passer. You were saying that even when they were winning. Yeah, I know. They can't yeah. rush the passer. They can't play man-to-man. And in the passing NFL world, that's a tough combo, and that means teams are going to be able to move the ball and score points on it on a weekly basis. One more victory lap here. Dolphins, uh, especially their defense, and Brian Flores, they beat the Rams 28-17. to One stat I want to get into here, and I would imagine someone has brought this up to you already, but uh, Tua Tungavailoa, congrats for winning. Defense really helped. First lefty quarterback to win his first career start since what quarterback? Since the great Christopher David Sims. Yes. I'm glad you added greats and David there because I just would have said Chris Sims. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Pete said you're still verifying. Great. Yes, uh, that was <laughs> spoken from the Chris Sims himself. Yes, great. But uh, yeah, man, I, it kind of hurt. I wanted to see my record stand. I still wanted to be the last lefty to win their start. Yeah, it's tough. But yeah. that, that's over either way. And Records are made to be broken. Yeah, that's right. They are. And Tua looked good, though. I mean, again, we don't know good how enough. good. Yeah, good yeah. enough. It's tough. Right. It's tough, as you know, to play quarterback in that type of game where the defense makes plays and all of a sudden, man, the other team's offense is on there. And they kind of go on a drive. And then the defense makes another play. And, whoa, their right. offense gets to go back on the field again. It's like, you know, it was a weird game for anybody to get broken into that way. He gets the he gets the win. He looked physically the part. I'll say that, you know, that's exciting. But the big story was Brian Flores. That defense exposed oh, Sean McVay and Jared Goff big time. Yeah, big time. Yeah, I, I'd like to know what that defense did. And since it's a victory lap, and you've been you have pointed out the good of Brian Flores. So what stamp did he have on that? And why is the Rams' offense so? So inconsistent, like not from month to month. It's literally from week to week. Well, yeah. Well, so one of these days, everybody's going to believe me when I tell you they can't run the ball. They're not that great of an offense. The Jared Goff and the drop back pass offense are not going to beat you. They're not. If, once, you, once they can't run the ball, they go into, ooh, can you beat us this other way? I mean, they really, that's a big question mark for them. I mean, when the boots aren't there and the play action pass isn't there and the McVay screens aren't there, you know, they have a hard time moving the football at all. I mean, we saw the 49ers took those things away. And now Brian Flores, who spent two weeks of preparing for this team in the Super Bowl two years ago in Super Bowl 53 and held them to three points when he was the D coordinator of the New England Patriots, he knows what it takes and he has the personnel to stop the run game for one. He knows how to use his big people up front to stop the inside run game and have extra people on the edge to stop the speed sweep threat. That's the biggest thing. He's got corners on the outside who could play man-to-man, so that allows him to play with those guys inside. And then the biggest thing, Paul, was just some of the passing situations, obvious third-down passing situations. He exposed either the protection scheme or Jared Goff's knowledge of the protection scheme on all four turnovers, really. By rushing how many? By rushing six and Jared Goff not recognizing that, hey, you, you have five blockers and all six are coming. One's going to be there. So on three of the four turnovers, that was, that was the issue to where Goff's got to get the ball out of his hands, change the play, do something. But he was hit like he wasn't even expecting to be outnumbered by the blitz. I think that's where I'm confused. I really am. But Flores, yeah, called all the right plays and defense all day long to make things real, real tough on the Rams. Before we move on, did, did you have to throw for more than 100 yards to get that first win? You know what sucks about my first win? I don't even know how many yards I threw for. I ended up separating my shoulder, oh. like in the second oh, quarter. Man. Yeah, And still played. I know. I had to come out of the game. I hurt my throwing shoulder bad. I really did. Oh. I got planted into the ground uh, right as I was throwing the football one time. I came out on fire. First two drives of the game, we went right down the field. I was playing great. I got blindsided and hurt my shoulder and couldn't play for four or five weeks. So my first hmm. NFL start wasn't that great of an experience. But you, but, but you were five for eight for 68 yards. That's, that's a pretty strong it, well, start. I'm telling you, I was feeling it. I was ready to take over. I really was. But we had a 
first time starting right tackle in there against mm. the late great Will Smith, rest in peace, right? You know Will Smith, yeah. remember the Saints who got oh, yeah. shot and killed in the stupid yeah. traffic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, accident there. But, um, yep, he got me from the backside, separated my shoulder. Ouch. Ouch. Someday you can tell me – someday you can give me the name off camera of that uh, – of that tackle. <laughs> yeah, okay. Did not do what he was supposed to there. All right, time to take it up to 100, presented by Head & Shoulders. Josh Jacobs, Raiders knock off the Browns 16-6. to He goes 31 carries for 128 yards, both career highs. Yeah, I mean, Josh Jacobs, is he's a complete NFL running back. You know, again, a guy where when I say complete, I mean complete because, yeah, he's really good, but there's no weakness to his football game in any area. Oh, fourth and two, you need him to smash it up in there and get tough yards? No problem. Oh, it's first and ten and he's on the edge. Can he make some people miss and get extra yards? No problem. He can break your ankles or can just beat you with straight acceleration around the corner. You know, and yesterday the Raiders rode him hard. John Gruden had the old saying of, like, pound the rock. He used to say that a lot to us in Tampa Bay, which means, like, he's going to run the ball. He's going to let his offensive lineman come off the ball impose their physical will, let the running backs run downhill to give some toughness to the offensive side of the ball. And the Raiders are tough. Even though they're young and they might not be the most talented team in football, the one thing they've been through the John Gruden era is tough. And they brought it right at Cleveland yesterday. The Raiders' offensive line's really good. And Josh Jacobs is one of those guys, again, he sees a hole, he can hit it 100 miles per hour. If there's no hole, he can kind of dance and find a little crack and then hit it and has power to drive the pile for three or four yards. That's the special thing about Josh Jacobs. That's why he takes it up to 100. And before we close that one out, at Steve Gato 99 would like for you to show some love to Raiders defensive coordinator Paulie Gunther. Yeah, I mean, Paulie Gunther, like, I was worried about them getting gashed in the run game themselves. Now, I picked the Raiders to win this football game because I really thought Paulie Gunther and them will go – wait, this Browns pass offense isn't that great. We got pretty good cover corners. Let's put our guys in some man-to-man situations, but let's sell out to stop the run. And let's see if the pass game can beat us. And especially on a windy day, that was the right approach for sure. So Paul Gunther does deserve a lot of credit there. Again, even for that side of the ball, you know, they're not super talented, but they play tough every week and they play hard. So one thing I really respect about the Raiders football team and that was a big, gritty win for them on the road. You know, middle America, cold, windy day. Not, a, not an environment the Raiders have typically mm. thrived in usually. Hey, Raiders, 4-3, uh, and three, winning record now early November. Yep. And that was Take It Up to 100, presented by Head & Shoulders, available at Walmart. Self-scout thyself. You've had your victory lap. We, we, we found a way to work in a trivia question that pointed out uh, <laughs> your, your first was. win there, yeah. <laughs> even though you had a, an injury to end it early. Seahawks defense. Uh, the Seahawks beat the 49ers 37-27. to 27. Uh, Chris picked the 49ers because he thought Shanahan would expose the Seattle D. What say you? Yeah, well, they, he, he didn't. That's for sure. You know, the 49ers, I could throw them right into that category a little bit of – the Rams that we just talked about, even the Cleveland Browns, you know, and there's somebody else we even talked about earlier in the show, and I can't remember who it was, but where I go, if they can't run the ball, I'm not sure their drop-back pass offense can win them football games. And I definitely have that question about Jimmy Garoppolo. I certainly do. 
And Seattle looked like they took that approach yesterday, crowding the line of scrimmage and weren't going to let, like, the 49ers dictate the day with Shanahan's creative run schemes and all that. Now, it hurt they didn't have Debo Samuel, and I haven't watched this film yet. I want to go back and see exactly what they did. You know, the 49ers kind of moved the ball early, had a, had a chance to take a lead early in the football game, you know, moved the ball the first time, ended up having to punt it away. Second drive, they drive down there, and that's when Garoppolo throws the interception. So, you know, that was uh, – and then, of course, Russell Wilson and everybody answered that way. But, yeah, I was surprised not only, one, that they couldn't run the ball, but, two – you know, I thought the 49ers' defense would slow down Russell Wilson and company, too, and that did not happen. Uh, thinking about the Seattle defense, uh, this question here, Chris, at F-Ball Breakdown says, what happened to the Seattle defense this week? I think they win as the Bucks defense for Halloween this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know exactly the specifics to what they did. I want to look at, you know, like I said, all I can really speak to of what I'm watching on the TV and all that was – like a lot of people at the line of scrimmage and just shooting gaps and getting upfield. Uh, but when I do Wednesday with my What the Fuck Happened podcast and we get into that, mm. I'll give we'll some more specifics about what they did to really kind of uh, take away the Shanahan run game. And one more question on this one. At J10 Farm asks, bigger concern for the Niners, their defense or the quarterback? Um, mm, I, I, I think more the quarterback to me right now. I am now. You know, the defense, yes, it's not great. I mean, it's good still. It really is. Is it going to be dominant like last year? No, that's not. That's out the window. That's gone. You know, and they still got some guys that can come back and be healthy to help them out that way. But, you know, I'm more concerned, again, we just see where there's games where if they can't, if they can't dominate with their run game and the play actions and all that be a viable option – uh, I worry about Jimmy G and his ability to make the appropriate throws and carry the team that way. I definitely do. Um, who would you like to see start Thursday? Depend. I, I mean, as Jimmy G can go, I want to see Jimmy G. I do. I mean, that, that, that's who should it be. But I don't know how badly his ankle is hurt there. I mean, he had to come out of the game. You know, the game was getting in trouble anyways. But how badly did he aggravate it? We're going we're gonna to find yeah. out here. I'd have a hard Injury time aside, trusting Nick, Nick Mullins after the last hour. Yeah, right. Saw yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, injury aside, and that, that's probably going to play uh, most into whether he plays Thursday against Green Bay. But I've been pretty heavy, uh, you know, outside of this podcast, on this podcast, and defending Jimmy Garoppolo saying he's not a great quarterback, but he's absolutely the guy you're going to play for the next few years. There is more good than bad. There's a lot to build upon. Am I am, – am I, 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 I see some weeks go by where I'm like – Maybe, maybe I'm not right there. I, maybe yeah. I should back off a little. I, 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 I would tread, tread lightly. I would. I don't know where this goes either. I really don't. I'll be excited or interested to see what, what my buddy Kyle Shanahan does. Yeah. You know, but I, think, I still think this second half of the year is still we're evaluating Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think he's done mm. anything to just go, oh, he's our guy. It's free pass. He's their guy next two or three years, no matter what. He's already yeah. done enough. I don't think he has. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, again, if they were looking or flirting with Brady last year yeah. after the Super Bowl, you know, uh, what would lend us to believe they wouldn't do that again, right? So that, that's where I'll, I will be intrigued, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. is going to have to finish somewhat strong, unlike the guy on the other side, okay, who is en fuego. And they got back to 
Russell to DK. Russell to DK. Russell to DK. They must have been pissed off about what I talked about on Wednesday last week. How did we let Arizona play man-to-man on DK like that and not take advantage of it more often? And yesterday it was like they were going to prove a point. They were like, oh, you're playing man-to-man? We're going to throw it with him. We're going to throw it (laughs) to him. Yeah, right. And they should. They should wear that out until somebody starts to double cover DK Metcalf. And then it's just going to make their offense that much better and that much more dangerous. And uh, hopefully they learn their lesson. I think our buddy Mike Florio was was kind of kidding uh, early this morning on PFT where he says, uh, MVP talk back. We don't know if it's MVP DK Metcalf or MVP Russell Wilson. I mean, who, who is the MVP of that offense to you? Yeah, it's Russell Wilson. It is. But I think DK Metcalf, and I, I don't know if you saw this part of the show yesterday, uh, or today at least, I think he's taken the lead on I think he's the best receiver in football. I do. You said you said that about three weeks ago. I mean, that's you, you, so I'm going to give you a little credit for not pointing it out after he's had a million catches the last couple. You know, yeah. You said that a month ago. Thank you. I, I you know, I think the the big thing is is I just if you gave me one guy and you go, hey, Chris, you're quarterback of a team right now. You, here, here's your first pick at wide receiver. I, I think mm-hmm. I'd have to go with DK Metcalf. You know yeah. what, what? What what can he do? Short passes, touchdown. Jump balls, touchdown. Yeah. Intermediate passes, what? Across the field, turn the corner, tight rope, touchdown, what? Like, everybody in football goes out of bounds there, except for maybe yeah. him and Tyree Kill, except he turns the tor- corner and scores. And, uh, yeah, I just think he's a really, really special player. Ninth receiver taken. I'm going to say that a few more times. Uh, and, Pete, uh, see it for the next show, if we can go back and find that soundbite. And I'll put a date on it. I think it was three or four weeks ago where Chris – and I, I was sitting next to him. I, I, I could tell it might have been the first time the words actually came out of his mouth. He kind of was a little hesitant, but I, I think he did say that DK was the best receiver in the game. So that's a project for next week. Carson Wentz. Oh, breaking news from PD. Jimmy G out indefinitely. Nick Mullins, based off of what he did yesterday, is the guy. Your thought on the Niners now without Jimmy G? Wow. Well, listen, I like Nick Mullins, except for just what I saw a few weeks ago in that Eagles Sunday night football game that scarred me to where, you know. It's not official. I mean, it's not official. Yeah, it could be C.J. Beathard. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it could be C.J. But, I mean, either way there without Jimmy Garoppolo for the – foreseeable future wow so that means he must have aggravated it pretty good and I think there was about two or three times yesterday where he did aggravate it so I I, I, we shouldn't be shocked that we saw this but uh that's that's big news and then it's just the 49ers that's the that kind of just wraps up their whole year guys injured just constantly and them having to battle through it last place in the NFC West you see that um changing at all I do. I'm not giving up on the 49ers. I'm not yet. No, I still think there's enough talent in there the way they're going to hang around this playoff picture. I would be shocked if they just fell out and fell out into no man's land. Okay. Jimmy G, high ankle sprain, out uh, indefinitely. We're still self-scouting thyself here. One more topic. Carson Wentz, Eagles beat the Cowboys 23-9. to In your top 40 quarterback countdown that we had fun with this past spring, uh, you have him ranked number sixth. He hasn't looked like it. He hasn't had the team around him. I mean, it's hard to name his receivers yeah. from start to finish. Right. Uh, but thinking about the Eagles and thinking about that sixth rating, 
Uh, that, that sixth ranking, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think, you know, yeah, he's not, no, he's not one of the six best quarterbacks in football right now. You know, I will echo what you just said. You know, there, there's not there much there to help him. You know, mm-hmm. again, you know, I like Boston Scott, but Boston Scott's a backup running back for every team in football, maybe the third running back, and he's their, their feature guy. And then you talk about lack of weapons, the banged-up offensive line. So I am a defender of Carson Wentz because he makes a lot of unbelievable plays when he's talented. He does. But how can you defend some of the things he did last night? Right. How can you I defend know. it? What are you, what, what are you doing, Carson Wentz? Why? The Cowboys. He, he's, he's, always, he's always had that feeling like Superman cape on. I'm going to go yes. out and do this. I'm going to make this really hard play. Maybe it's even more significant now, that feeling within him to do that, because the team stinks. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. I think it is. You know, and it la- this is how last year ended, too. Let's not forget, the team and the offense wasn't good last year either. He put right. everybody on his back and brought them to the playoffs. So, you know, he got success with it last year, and, of course, now he's trying to replicate, again, replicate that again this year. But, you know, there, there's a fine line. And, you know, first off, just the two fumbles last night, they were the ones that bothered me more than anything. Just zero awareness of who was around him and what was there so focused on down the field that not even paying attention to what's around you and that, that that's, that's, you know, I just, you, I, it's indefensible. I don't know what else to say about that. You know, the interceptions, hey, there was the deep post. Okay, maybe the wind got it. But the other one throwing it into the end zone over there, you're playing the Cowboys. They, I'm not so sure if you took the defense off the field, they're going to be able to score a touchdown. You know, just be conservative. Play the game the right way. Realize that you have the better team on the field. There's just too many instances of this all year long where whether it's the Washington game week one where you go, you're dominating, and then he throws two picks to jumpstart it and get him going. You know, there's the the Rams game. They get back into that, and here it is. It's there to be had. They might take the lead. He throws a stupid interception there in the wrong moment. You know, there's just too many moments of where he tries to do too much and it costs them in, in, in those moments. And they flirted with danger last night. He, they did their damnedest to go, here, Dallas, win. Dude, here you go. Here's a win. And Dallas was yeah. like, what? A win? A W? We don't know what to do with a W. Hold on. No, you can have it back. Here you go. I mean, that, it was comical <laughs> last night watching that game. It, it was kind of a tough watch. And yes. This is from Uncle Phil. I don't think he's, he's related to the Phil we love here, but uh, we know the inconsistent talent around him. But do you think Carson Wentz could be headed down a Cam Newton-like road of inconsistency? I don't. I'm, I don't feel like I'm going to say that yet. I'd like to see one more stretch of a healthy offense around Carson Wentz. I really would. You know, let's see if we can get Deshaun, Rager, Fulgham, Alshon, Jeffrey. Ertz back, maybe Miles Sanders, and see what we got from there. You know, again, I've, I've seen too many high-level moments from the guy for me just to give up on him or say it's going to be one way or another. But he's certainly got to realize the big picture of a football game and how to manage a game a little bit better. So like what you said to start off the segment, there's just too many plays that it's like, it's old Deshaun Watson. Every play is the last play of the game. Oh, yeah. And it just, it's, it's living on the edge too much. Back it up to the 49ers for bad reason here, Chris. We talked about Jimmy Garoppolo, a high ankle sprain out indefinitely. Uh, this one may be even worse. Pete just told me George Kittle. Did you say fractured foot, Pete? 
fractured foot could miss the rest of the season. Okay, so they might be done then. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what yeah. to say. That's that's they're in right. deep, they're in deep crap. They really are. Yeah, you know George Kittle. Other than Nick Bosa, it's the best. They're the two best players on the team. Kittle is so amazing for the pass game. He's amazing for the run game, and then he's amazing, of course, mm-hmm. when they tie that all together in the play action pass and all of that. And he is that like like how DK Metcalf is that guy for Seattle. Kittle is that guy where defense has got to go, wait, we got to put our best guy on him or we got to double him on this situation or whatever it is. Yeah. And now you're not going to have that. To, I mean, that's, that's just unbelievable. Wow. I mean, I, think about how much different the job is for Mike Patton, defensive coordinator for the Packers on this short week of getting ready for this offense without George Kittle. Oh, I mean, it's a, he's, he literally just might have sit back in his chair, yelled, celebrated. He kicked his feet up and he's like, thank God. Now I only have to worry about the run game. Not all the million ways they use him off of it to screw you over. Uh, that's, that's a huge blow to the 49ers. Yeah, too bad. 49ers going for already. Jimmy Garoppolo out uh, indefinitely. George Kittle, fractured foot, could miss the rest of the season. All right, let's finish up here with Give Me the Headlines, presented by Hyundai. It is time for Give Me the Headlines, presented by Hyundai. A couple of games we haven't hit yet. What do you got for Colts beating the Lions 41 to 21? Don't forget these stallions. Okay. Got it. Colts, horses, stallions. Got it. Okay. Good. Got good, it right good, away. Yeah. 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 But you should be proud of that one. You know, Colts, I mean, uh, they're kind of flying under the radar right now. Yeah. I mean, the way they're, they're, they're tied with Tennessee, tied with Tennessee in the AFC South. Exactly. Sitting there at five and two. You know, I know they had the bye week, so we didn't talk about them a whole lot or anything like that, but. You know, still a lot of really impressive parts to that football team. And again, it's still like in the infancy stages here of the football team. You know, it's a new quarterback. There's a few new moving pieces here. They're still trying to figure out how they want to play and what's best for them going forward. But I think they've gotten better through the first half of the year, definitely. And you could see they can win games in different styles. They've won games with their pass game. They've won games with their run game. They've won games with their defense. And that, to me, is why I keep looking at them, just going, oh, watch out for them. Because they got a lot of things that we talk about complete football teams. You know, they're one of those teams that it's hard to find a glaring weakness about their team other than will Phillip Rivers take care of the ball in the fourth quarter, right? That's probably the only concern we got. But you have to go back a long time, long time, Chris, 10 years ago, probably where we're talking about watching Phillip Rivers play with his aggressive way while knowing that the defense is the best part of this team. So maybe I should tone it down a little bit. Yes, you're right. I mean, it's back to the old days of Sean Merriman and that when he had that that crew and, and, and with the Chargers. But, you know, yesterday, again, you see they can run the ball and do that. You know, Rivers is still can make plays in the pass game. And, and uh, Frank Reich is very creative with some of the things he does in the pass game. Uh, so they have that aspect. And then, you know, there's the game. It's 20 to 14. You know, they're winning. They look like the better of the team. But Matt Stafford's made a few plays. What do they do? You know, oh, Darius Leonard busts through the middle, strip sack fumble. They cause a turnover. They go down and get a touchdown. It's 28-14. Then... Next drive, pick six. Kenny Moore catches it from Stafford. 35-14, game over. But it just shows you that their defense can go through moments of dominating a football game. And you saw their offense go through moments of that game dominating a football game too. So, you know, the Colts, 
they might be the best team in the AFC South. We'll see. Either way, I know the Colts are a playoff-caliber football team. I do know that. I guess the next thing going forward is, can they make a jump to be in that Super Bowl-caliber team in the AFC? I'm not right. sure about that yet. Colts-Titans tied at the top of the AFC South 5-2. and two. I believe they play on a Thursday night coming up here pretty soon. Uh, one more. Give me the headlines here. Chiefs beat the Jets 35-9. to nine. Ho-hum. Ho-hum. Beat the Jets without breaking a sweat. Uh, without breaking a sweat or like, I don't know. I just never seen a guy who throws for 416 yards and five touchdowns and nobody even cares anymore. Nobody talks about it. No, right? It's, right? Un- it's unreal. I mean, yeah. it, it, it speaks to, yes, it's the Jets and they stink and we know that, but it's just like, still. yes, right? I mean, it just speaks to the, I, I guess, the expectation level of what we think yes. of Patrick Mahomes now, right? To where it's just like, oh, yes. we, we yeah. expect these. Expectation level is so high, Chris. And, and his numbers were a lot better. The passing game played a bigger role. But they win 35-9. to nine. I think last week they won by 26 or 27 points. And it was the same kind of reaction. It was like, yeah, okay, yeah, they, they won big. What other game can we talk about? It says, I mean, that's, that, that's how high the bar has been set. Yeah, it, it is. And I think the, you know, again, Mahomes was amazing yesterday. He made some throws yes. that were just like, what? Awesome. Are you kidding me? I mean, the big post he had down the middle to Tyree Kill, anybody yeah. here at NBC Sports yesterday, they probably heard me yell. But, you know, it, it's, it's a, he threw a 45-yard missile that was like six feet off the ground the whole way. And it just was like, you know, Tyree Kill's running and just hit him in the face. Like, oh, touchdown. I mean, it's just <laughs> he's unbelievable that way. And I think the thing that's really cool about the Chiefs Again, we've talked about it a lot, but they've really shown some versatility in how they can play here as of late. And that's where I'm really excited. That's why I think they're the best team in football. I'm still picking them to win the Super Bowl. I am. Mm-hmm. They got playmakers. They got scheme. They got toughness. They got belief. And we've seen in, you know, yesterday, okay, the air show. The Broncos game, it was special teams and defensive touchdowns. The week before that against Buffalo, they ran the ball down the Bills' throat. So I think they're – actually expanding, you know, their football wealth as far as a football team and how they can beat you throughout this as well to where they're still getting better. And I think that's what's scary about the Chiefs. Number one team over Pittsburgh. I know uh, you just kind of think they're the best team. I'm taking them. And I think actually they're not – they're a tough matchup for Pittsburgh. I think they match up very well because Kansas City can pass protect. The Steelers can't play man-to-man. And that usually lends to either Mahomes throwing rifles into your zone coverage or just extending the play and then manipulating your zone coverage and then throwing the rifle. And, you know, right. you, and that's where that would be a little scary to me. And then, of course, you know, hey, the Chiefs defense, we don't talk about it enough, but they, they can shut people out and they're physical and tough yeah. and cause plays. Um, so, yeah, I still think they're, they're the best team in, in all of football, in my opinion. Okay, as we come closer to wrapping this up, congratulations for knowing the other lefty rookie quarterback to win for the first time. That was you. Who turns 65 tomorrow? You believe that? The big fucker turns 65 tomorrow. 65. Yeah. yeah. Big. What are you going to get him? I don't know. I need to ask my wife what she might have got him. I don't know yet. I don't think I've gotten him <laughs> anything. At least she hasn't told me. Uh, so I got to figure that out here real, real soon. Uh, I mean, 65, I mean, that's, you know, the old school, you retired 65. I mean, there's a funny gag gift or two or three that, that, that you can get him. 
Uh, I, you're think? right. There is some gag. He doesn't want gag gifts, though. I got to like last. I think the last year I got him some basketball sneakers. You know, he loves to like. Does he play hoops? No, no, but he loves to. I'll come over in some sneakers, and oh man, those are great looking. I really like those. I really like those. And then, you know, about an hour goes by, and he goes, "Hey, take off those shoes. Let, let me try them on." <laughs> So he tried, oh, man, these are amazing. Oh, my gosh. Who makes these? And I only wear Nike, so I'm like, oh, these right. are Nike. And, and, oh, man, these are great. I'll get you some, Dad. Okay, okay. And, you know, that's, that's usually how it works out. And then I end up buying some basketball sneakers to wear around. You can at least call him, right? Oh, of course that. Of course. Yes. I, I mean, we might be going to his house. I'm not even sure what our plans are yet. i got to <laughs> figure sure. this out. I don't know. <laughs> You got to figure it out or you have to ask your wife. Yeah, both. Exactly. Both. Yeah. Yeah. They both usually go together. Monday night, Tampa Bay, New York Giants. Kind of a rhetorical question. Who you got? Yeah. Well, I'm going Bucks. Uh, I, I, yeah. I'm By gonna, how much? Because it's windy. It's, it's windy out here right now. Yes. I'm going to say 31-17. You know, something okay. right, right in that range. But, you know, that's the greatness of the Bucks too. First off, Brady can throw it through the wind, just like we talked about with some of the yeah. other quarterbacks earlier. He's not going to have issues there. And then – the Bucks can run the ball when they need to and have enough of other ways to move the ball, too. Uh, I'll still stand by to what I said last week. You know, I think the Bucks are the best team in the NFC. I know they got two losses right now, but uh, I just think it's going this way, and they're, they're probably going to be the most complete team when it's all said and done in the NFC. I need the Giants kicker. I need Graham Gano to come up with more than 12 points. Do I have a shot tonight in fantasy? Ooh, more than 12? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could Probably be not. right in that range, though. You might see a lot of, like, Giants drive to the 30-yard line and then fizzle out, and he kicks. I wouldn't be shocked to see at least three or four field goal attempts. You might get close on this one. You're giving me hope because I would really, really like to beat the person who's, who's ahead of me right now, okay? So okay. thank you. Okay, no problem. Glad I gave you the hope. I hope it actually happens. Yes, and uh, I hope this doesn't change. I'm back with you on Wednesday. Yeah, well, yep, I hope it does. Uh, you're back with me on Wednesday. Just get your test so you can come sit here with me, okay? All right? Yes. I don't Fingers want to be crossed. sitting next to you if you're the carrier monkey, all right? I don't want to deal with that, <laughs> all right? <laughs> all right? I'll be from here, yes. <laughs> okay, that's it. Chris Sims unbuttoned. Pauly, you the man. Good show. Good to see you. Way to drive the ship, as always. And we will be back Wednesday for What the Fuck Happened, our usual podcast breakdown. And... I think this Wednesday for sure, 100%. We've had, he's had troubles on his end. We've had troubles on our end here because of COVID and all that. I think Big Phil will be on the podcast on Wednesday, ready to go. So we'll be able to heckle him and call him a 65-year-old yes. man. That should be fun. That'll be great. All right, man. Peace out. Good seeing you. See Have a good week. Enjoy Monday Night Football, everybody. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.